So you can take your Bible and go with me to Philippians 1. Would you do that? Philippians 1. I hope you have your Bible with you. And We study the Word together each and every Sunday morning, but we're studying the Scriptures together. And you didn't come to hear me speak so much as you want to hear what God has to say from His Word. And I'm here to help point you to that. You know, as believers, we have a high calling. It's, it really summed up really well in that this little light of mine song that we, that we just heard sung and we worshiped together with. We have a high calling, and that high calling should affect the way that we live our lives. That is the charge Paul had given the Philippian believers. It's the charge that God is giving us from his word today to make certain that the way that we live is focused on the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, to make certain that we live in such a way that highlights and points to that truth and shows people that that truth is changing us and that there's hope for them if they will put their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be encouraged and strengthened and given God's help to make this truth known if we will surrender ourselves to the truth of the gospel and center ourselves on the gospel and that truth. So let's take a closer look at this in Philippians 1, and I want you to go to verse 27. Follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. Philippians 1, verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now we looked at the passage leading up to this last week, and we saw Paul's struggle between two good choices, two possible outcomes for his present difficulties. Uh, He knew that he could be facing execution. Things could get very difficult for him, right? He knew that he could be facing his death. If he died, he knew that meant that he'd be with Jesus. So he wasn't fearful of death. He knew that this was a serious thing that could come upon him, but he wasn't fearful of death because he knew that if his life was taken from him, he would be with his Savior immediately, and he looked forward to that. If he were to keep on living, if he were to remain, he knew that he could keep serving the saints. He knew that he could keep serving the church that Jesus died for, serving the church with the gospel message, and that could be good for them, good for him, He thought if he died, he'd be with his Savior. Good for them if he stayed. He'd be able to continue preaching the gospel and serving alongside them for the sake of the good news. It would be for their, as he says, for their progress and joy in the faith. Now, he loved Jesus. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and he longed to be with him, but he also loved the church of Christ. He loved the church for whom Jesus died, and he wanted to serve them, and he wanted to serve alongside them as long as the Lord allowed him to do that. Now we come to verse 27 where he says, Only 
Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only. It's an interesting word in the English Standard Version. that, That verse starts with the word only. Only. It's like saying just one thing. Just one thing. In fact, uh, the, the Christian Standard Bible says it that way. It translates that only that way. Just one thing. Like saying, pay attention to this. This is what I need you to pay attention to, he's saying. Now, we need to hear this as a church also. Only, or just one thing, or pay attention to this. This is what we're, we should be about as a church. What is this? thing that we should be paying attention to. What is this just one thing? It's it's this. Look at the passage again. Look at verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the Greek word translated, we translate it in the English, manner of life. It means literally to live as citizens. Live as citizens. Here's the implication. Believers in Jesus are to live as good citizens. To live as model citizens here on earth. But be careful that you don't uh, go away from the, the text here. I want you to think carefully about what this means. Believers in Jesus Christ are to live here on earth as good citizens, as model citizens. But I want you to note that Paul is not saying that you are supposed to be living as good citizens of the land in which we are living, as in in this culture, by this culture's standard of what a good citizen is. The standard for good citizenship in this culture is changing. The standard by what a good citizen is classified as in this culture is changing, folks. We see very clearly in our culture good being called evil. And very clearly evil being called good. And not just being called good, but praised and worshipped as good. And if you don't see evil as good, then you're evil. That's what we're seeing in our culture right now. And so we need to get this right in our thinking. What Paul's talking about is not good citizens by earthly standards. He's talking about good citizens by heavenly standards. Turn to Philippians 3. Just a a couple of pages in your Bible. Maybe not even that. Philippians 3, verse 17. God's standard of what good citizenship is has never changed. All right? We need to get this. God's standard of what a good citizen on earth is has never changed. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 17, and look at how Paul tells us this when he states, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the, the example you have in us. 
For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory, they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but... Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's point, back to chapter 1, verse 27. Paul's point is that citizens of heaven living on earth are to live by another standard. Not an earthly standard, a heavenly standard. What is that standard? Believers in Jesus are to live by the standard. We can see it here in verse 27. Believers in Jesus are to live by the standard of the gospel of Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are to live on earth as a model citizen of heaven, living by heavenly standards. Those may actually may often oppose earthly standards. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to live by a heavenly standard no, no matter what the earthly standard is? How do you do that? How do you live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is in line with the truth of the gospel? How do you do that? How do you live a life that's obedient to the gospel? Why is that so important? Why am I making a big deal of that this morning? Uh, Warren Wearsby shows the importance of this when he writes this. It's a really simple thought, but it's profound. He says, The greatest weapon against the devil is a godly life. And a local church that practices the truth, that behaves what it believes, is going to defeat the enemy. Did you hear that? Do you behave what you believe, as Warren Wearsby puts it? Are we behaving what we are believing? You know, it could be that we say we believe all the right things. Say we believe all the right things. But if our lives do not conform to the truth of the gospel then our lives don't truly show that we believe God's word at all. And when that happens, we are not honoring the gospel. We are harming the gospel. We are not being credible witnesses of the gospel to the watching unbeliever. And people, unbelievers are watching you to see if you really believe what you say you believe. You can say anything you want. What they're looking for is evidence that you obey the truth you say you believe. Now that's why Paul is saying to the Philippian believers, whether I'm able to come and, and serve alongside you again or not, be certain of this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul Gilbert expresses that challenge like this. This is simple. Again, I like simple things because I'm a simpleton. <laughs> it takes me a while to get things sometimes, but I like these kinds of simple things. He's, he writes this little poem. You are writing a gospel. 
a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true, just what is the gospel according to you. What is the gospel according to your life? You see, the, the aim of our lives as believers in Jesus ought to be to live in such a way that we uphold and magnify the gospel and point to the truth of the gospel, point to the Lord Jesus Christ, point to His good news. The aim of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ ought to be that we back up the truth of the gospel with how we live and speak. You see, the gospel, in its most simple terms, is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's a really simple way of saying the gospel. But the gospel really is the whole of scriptures. When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about God's word as a whole. Whether or not we take God's word seriously it's all of the Bible. Does your life show that you believe the Bible? And that you're seeking to conform your life to the truth of the gospel, God's word. To that end, Paul continues in verse 27 to emphasize the action we're to take as believers. And he shows us that we do not do this alone. We do this as a church, and we only do this as a church when we're unified, ready for any hardship. This week we, we saw the swearing-in of a new president. Along with this president, you may be seeing the same things I'm seeing, many things that cause concern. And I'm concerned about where we're headed as a nation. What's going to happen in the next four years? I also want to preface that by saying, ultimately, I'm not concerned <laughs> because I know God is in control. I believe in the sovereignty of God because I believe God's word and God's word is very clear that God is in control. What I'm talking about is the fact that the church may go through some dark waters in the next four years, some dip difficulties. We may face opposition we haven't faced before. And what I want you to be aware of and thinking about is, are you ready to face opposition to the things you say you believe? Are you ready to stand firm on the truth of the gospel no matter what the government does or says or, or brings? Do you want your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? That should be your aim for life on earth. Uh, we all represent different things, different skills, different gifts, different careers, different upbringings, different backgrounds, different home life situations, different neighborhoods. I mean, we're all spread out doing different things. And yet, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, with those different things that you're doing, God wants this to be your aim. Making plain, making clear the gospel of Jesus Christ with the way that you do those things that God has given you to do here on earth. Do you want your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? If so, and I trust you do, 
then you need to take action. And I see three action steps here. I want to point them out to you. Here's the first action step. Again, I like simple things. It sound, and this sounds simple, but it's probably not as simple as it sounds. Here's your first action step. Stand firm. Stand firm. Paul says to the believers at Philippi, whether I come and see you or am absent, I want to hear. What does he want to hear? He wants to hear that they are standing firm. That they are not shifting with the culture. That they are not shifting with the times. That they are standing firm in the gospel. I want to hear that you are standing firm. How's that? Look at it. He says, in one spirit with one mind. And he's talking to the church, collective group of believers. So how do we do that? How do we have one spirit and one mind as believers serving together in this place where God has placed us? It begins by being certain that we center all that we do on the gospel. We must center ourselves as individual believers. And this is my prayer for you as families, that you would center your family on the gospel, that as individual believers you would center your life on the gospel, that you would practice this in your homes, and then as a church that we center all that we do on the gospel the Word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. We must center ourselves as a church and as individual believers on the Word of God, the Bible. That's why you will often hear me say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, because you don't need to hear what I have to say. You need to hear what the Bible says. Do we obey it? Do we believe it? Is it changing us? Those are questions that we ought to ask ourselves as we examine our spiritual lives, our walk with Christ. If we're believers in Jesus, do we obey it? Do we believe it? Is it changing us? If we do not center ourselves on the Word, then we will never be able to stand firm in this world in which we live that is shifting and changing around us. We will never be able to stand firm together. We need to be together on this. In one spirit, with one mind. It doesn't mean that we have to be all the same. And it doesn't mean that we all have to agree on everything. We can have different preferences. But what we do need to agree on is that this is God's word and we must obey. Believers, we need to stand firm today. One of the primary ways that we do this is by gathering together to preach and teach the Scriptures. If we didn't have the Bible, we would have no reason for meeting. We would have no reason for gathering if we didn't have God's Word. We would be another club. We're not a club. We're, we're God's answer in these trying times to the trying times. We're God's ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. Believers, we need to stand firm today just as the world has always needed the church to stand firm. Now, you look and I look at things and, and for us in our lifetimes, it's like, whoa, what in the world is going on? 
But over history of, uh, over the life of the church, this is nothing new. The church has faced difficulties before. The, ch- the church has faced hardship and challenges, and we don't know what kinds of challenges we may face, but you, you begin to look at the political handwriting on the wall and you wonder what's coming. We could face some real challenges, but I'll tell you this, the church often and most often thrives when it is under persecution. Now, I'm not saying we pray for this and ask for it, but we do need to prepare for it. And we only can prepare for it with the Word of God as we come together. And I'm emphasizing this importance of coming together. We need to be together on this. It's what Paul's pointing to in the Scriptures, in this passage. In one spirit with one mind. You see, society and the culture is rapidly shifting around us, and we can see it becoming increasingly hostile to people who believe in and stand on the unchanging truth of God's Word. We've seen the ministry of the church at large in the last 10 months face real challenges that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. My father retired from pastoral ministry last March at, at age 85. I wonder if I can, if I can go that long, 85. And he told me mid last year, I've never seen anything like this. What's going on in our culture right now? I've never seen anything like that. That kind of surprised me. At first, churches stopped meeting for a time. Have you ever seen churches stop meeting? We did, right? For a time, Churches stopped meeting. Some churches are still not meeting. Unheard of. My word for 2020, we were joking as a family. Somebody, somebody said, we listen to radio, Christian radio, sometimes you hear a word, uh, the word for 2020, and I said, unprecedented. <laughs> because that's the word we heard a thousand times. It's unprecedented. I don't think that was the word that they were going to use for 2020, but it was my word for 2020, because it was the one I heard a thousand times. Unprecedented. Right? We looked at what was going on in the church. Unprecedented. (laughs) Some churches are still not meeting. And even those that are meeting have seen a decline in attendance. In many ways, we're seeing a virus being used by Satan as a way to hinder the gospel. But God is using a virus as a means to get our attention. Does God have your attention yet? We need the church. God could have made us some other way. He could have made it so we didn't need the church. But he made us so we need the church. Let's not fight it. Let's not resist that. Let's rejoice in this. And let's celebrate the fact that we have the church. We have God's answer to our needs as a fellowship of believers. We need the church and we have the church. We will always need to meet. As long as we're living this side of heaven, we will always need to meet. How we meet 
may change. And I'm not saying how we meet that we would just stop meeting in person and only meet online. We may have to meet in smaller groups someday. In neighborhoods, instead of driving, you know, 20 minutes to church. So be it, right? If we're committed to being together as believers, centered on the gospel, we need to be focused on this. We still need to meet. We need to be together. God made us so that we thrive and we grow in Christ's likeness when we have one another to encourage each other and to teach and preach and strengthen each other with the gospel. Can we be cautious as we meet? Certainly. But we dare not stop meeting. The world around us needs the church to stand firm in the gospel. And we cannot do that if we don't stand firm together in the gospel. We cannot do that if we do not come together to equip ourselves with the gospel, with the truth of God's word. In the midst of what is happening right now, we need to learn to stand firm. This is not out there someday, maybe. This is here and now. We need to learn to stand firm in the gospel. We will always need to be equipping ourselves together to persevere and persist and not compromise the truth of God's word. It's no clearer to me than it ever has been that we need this now as a church and as the church at large. When the church fails to stand firm, when the church gives in to compromise, softening the truth of God's word to accommodate the notions of the world around us, the implication here in verse 27 is that instead of making the gospel more attractive, the church does an injustice to the gospel of Jesus Christ, making it less attractive, neutering it, making it ineffective. Now, now you cannot make the word of God ineffective, but you can make it tasteless if you're not careful you see as citizens of heaven we have the bible to guide us in our conduct and we have no reason to fear a virus or what this world can do to us if if god wants to take us home with a virus and I'm not talking about being careless. I'm just saying not being fearful. If God wants to take us home with a virus, are we not better off to be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Now, you don't see me. I'm not going to run out and find somebody with COVID and try to get COVID. I'm not suggesting that. And, and I, I put a mask on when I'm out with you because I don't know if that works. But I'm trying to do my part, right? Like you are. I'm trying to be sensitive and, and I want to care about how other people feel about whether that's helpful to them. If that's helpful to them, I'll wear the mask. But I want you to know that we, we cannot allow ourselves to be made to fear by something that God is in control over. Do not fear a virus. Do not fear the culture in which we live We need to stand firm together for the sake of the gospel. That's our highest priority. We can do that while being cautious, but we dare not stop meeting. We need each other. 
God made us so that when we gather together as a church, something supernatural is happening. Do you realize that? God says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. How sweet is that? How precious is that? We need the presence of the Lord in our midst as we gather together to help us take the truth of the word and apply it to our lives as we leave this place equipped and refreshed and encouraged and strengthened with the truth of the gospel. And we cannot do this alone. We need the church. We need each other. That's why it's so important that we not neglect meeting together. And that's why Paul emphasizes the need for unity here. You see that he is emphasizing the need for unity in this passage? We must take action. Stand firm. He also shows us that we also need to take action and be united. Be united. He says he wants to hear that these believers are, look at the passage again in verse 27, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Be united, brothers and sisters, in Christ. It's one of the things, with eight children in our family, we always wanted them to love each other, right? Just love. I remember I had, I had an older sister, an older brother, and a younger brother, just four of us. And, and, and we were kind of separated by a, a gap of time. So the two older and the two younger. I was in the two younger group. My younger brother and I spent a lot of time just hugging each other. Not because we wanted to but because we were being punished, because we weren't loving each other like our parents wanted us to. Hug your brother. I hated doing that. I, you stand there and hug your brother for five minutes. I hated that. I cannot wait to see him today. I mean, I'm not going to get to see him today, but these days, I cannot wait to see my little brother. And I still call him my little brother, even though he's you know, in his 50s now. <laughs> I can't wait to see my brother. I love to hug my brother now. Now, I don't hug him for five minutes. <laughs> but we hug each other. We love each other. We have a special bond in this way. Not only are we brothers by blood, we're brothers in Christ. And in fact, the time that we get to spend together is often more sweet because we are brothers in Christ than because we are brothers in flesh. He and I don't agree on everything, theologically, but man, we are close in agreeing on everything. And we agree on the main things. That's what's important. We need to be united in our thoughts and our actions as a church. We can only do that if we center ourselves on the Word of God, saying, this is God's Word. Let it unite us. Let God's Spirit unite us. We need to share a common purpose and be unified in achieving that purpose. And that purpose in Paul's day is the same purpose the church still has today. Look at it here in verse 27. We are here, verse 27 says, we are here for the faith of the gospel. 
We need to take action to stand firm in the truth of the gospel, and we need each other to do this. The urgency of standing firm in one spirit with one, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel is emphasized throughout the Bible. If you don't see the urgency in the culture right now, take the urgency from the scriptures alone, which is a pretty good place to start. None better than the words of Jesus. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23 I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You hear Jesus saying that there are going to be people who believe in Jesus through the witness of the church. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. That's powerful. One, one, one. You hear that repeated. By Jesus, he wants the church to be unified. He wants the saints to be one in purpose, on mission, on point. Do you see our mission in that passage, and do you hear it there? We are here to present Jesus and his good news to the world, and we will not do that effectively if we're divided. We need to be one. Our mission is too important to take lightly. So Paul challenges the church here to take action and to have unity and purpose as he tells them to, here's the third, take action, work together. Work together. Think of my kids again. When they were not getting along well, especially when they got older and bigger and stronger, we burned firewood to heat and I would accomplish something with discipline. You know, say, take, t- take those axes and go out and split firewood until I come and get you. And do not come back until I come and get you. And I would leave them all afternoon. Funny, funnily enough, they, they look back at those times as sweet times now. And they know that what I did was for their good. Making them work together when they couldn't get along. They accomplished things when they worked together. And they look back on those days now, it's like, wow, we had fun doing that. It wasn't long and we were having fun together as they worked. In the Greek, the word that is translated here, striving side by side, means to compete together in an athletic contest. The idea here is teamwork. We are not in a competition against each other. You realize that? We're not competing against each other. We're working together for a common goal. The highest goal on earth. Do you realize that? That we have the, the highest goal on earth before us as a church to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. Every believer is an important part of the work of advancing the faith of the gospel. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 14 through 19 makes this clear, saying, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The point is this, the church is made up of many parts, that's, that's us. But we are one body in Christ. Each member of the body of Christ, the church, is important. Important. Each person, I'll say it again, each person that makes up the body of Christ is important. Each believer has an important role in which to serve. As Paul makes clear here, we are each to live in such a way that magnifies the gospel of Jesus and does not hinder it. And I'm convinced that every person in the church has a way to do that. That is by God's design. And I'm not telling you your way. It's not my job to say this is your way and this is your way. We need to take the gifts that God is giving, giving us, the, the role in the culture in which we live that God is giving us, the family, the neighborhood, the workplace, all of those things into account, and to make the gospel known in the way that God is e equipping each of us to do that. And you gather here on Sunday to be encouraged to do that, to be equipped to do that. We are to be working together, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so just a few questions for you to think about. Are you a good heavenly citizen living here on earth? How do you know? Are you standing firm, refusing to compromise the truth of the gospel? Are you committed to standing firm, refusing to compromise the truth of the gospel? Are you taking action to be unified as a body of believers, as the church, refusing to harbor sinful attitudes that would separate you from each other? Do you see yourself as part of the team, and do you see the importance of each team member working together? It would be good. It would be very good for God to look at His church in this place, Chardon Baptist Church. It would be very good for God to look at His church in this place and see that we are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. God's blessings would be ours. God would bring blessings on us, and His blessings are not like the way we think of blessings. But his blessings are the ones we need. And the joy he would give is not a joy that we can create in and of ourselves, but it's the joy that he gives, and it's the joy we need. We need God's help for this. You realize that, right? Because the church is made up of people who are all still battling sin. And we don't always get this right, do we?
So we need God's help for this, and we have God's help through His Word and by His Spirit. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's take advantage of that. Let's take advantage of what God has given us in His Word and given, given us in, in our Spirit, His Spirit, if we're believers in Jesus. And let's ask God to help us today and always to take action, to give ourselves to living as believers in the gospel. Believers in the church, gathering together as the church to magnify Jesus and his gospel, equipping ourselves to go out into the world this week to magnify Jesus and his gospel, making him known. May we each work for unity and for our manner of life to be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ.